Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSome solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once a year town hall or company-wide email to share the, what causes the org supported last year. GiveSum allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. Tim Cruz. How are you doing, Tim? Yeah, doing well, Tyler. Thanks. Oh, man. Thanks for coming on. I went down memory lane a little bit. Episode episode 33. So about 300 episodes ago, Gosh. I had you on March 2020. Um, just as things were starting to unfold, if we think about what happened in March 2020, which we don't need to, we don't need to point that out. Everyone listening yeah. knows what happened in March 2020. Yeah. But you were the first conversation I had on where we kind of dug into, not kind of, where we dug into the topic of AI, machine learning, that gave us a little bit of a history lesson. So for anybody who's curious, you can't open a book or, or sorry, open a piece of media. I mean, maybe not a book, but you can't turn a corner today without running into AI in some way, shape or form. So I think I was, uh, it, it was time for us to do a recap and the kind of where are we now and what you're working on. So let's just start on the top. Like I always love to give a little bit of plug. You're working at Deep Surface AI. So give us a little bit of uh, what's Deep Surface, your chief technology officer there, CTO, affectionately referred to as. What's Deep Surface AI all about? What are you working on? And then let's just have a conversation about it. Let's geek out. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, CTO at Deep Surface AI. Um, so we're in the space of um, uh, of what I, what I like to call sort of preoperative planning for, um, you know, facial plastic surgery. So that can be, uh, you know, generally it's, it's aesthetic work, um, but there's a, a sort of component of reconstructive surgery in there. Okay. Um, and essentially what we're doing is we're using um, sort of techniques in, in generative AI, um, particularly around kind of like statistical shape modeling. Um to make predictions uh, on facial shape uh, to help surgeons and patients communicate in that sort of preoperative planning phase. So as you can imagine, um, you know, facial plastic surgery is a very uh, sort of personal topic. Surgery in general is very scary. So patients going in generally have a lot of preoperative anxiety because you're really trying to build a relationship of trust with a surgeon who's going to you know, make very permanent changes to your face. Um, so <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I understand why that might be anxiety inducing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, certainly. So, um, essentially what we're, what we're building is a, is a tool that's injected at that, um, that sort of preoperative, um, planning phase in between the patient and the surgeon, um, as a patient communication tool. So that as they're sort of going through, uh, the sort of operative plan and, and what general, um, or what potential aesthetic outcomes may look like, um, the surgeon and the patient can actually use uh, our product to sort of visualize those post-operative changes. Um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. We're we're starting off in a very um, 
in, a, in an amazing space of kind of transgender care. Um, so helping mm-hmm. people um, sort of make that, uh, you know, undergo um, uh, gender reassignment or gender transition surgery. Um, so there's a, a lot of sort of social impact to what we're doing as well, really which is, um, yeah, really, really interesting and exciting. I appreciate how quickly you kind of took us there because at first blush, like, oh, you know, I've been in an accident or I need reconstruction. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. doing cosmetic surgery because I just don't feel good about a certain body part right down to kind of deep society impacts of what's happening with in the transgender community. I appreciate how quickly that went from something that's like, oh, okay, to, oh, wow, that has a significant impact in an area where people are dealing with mm-hmm. identity, self-confidence, self-worth, so many things tied up to our face. We can't yeah. eliminate that. It's powerful. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And, and it was sort mm-hmm. of important for us. Like we, we did a long sort of journey sort of trying to figure out what our beachhead market was going to be like where are we going to start um because the aesthetic space is really big yeah um and uh you know i think all the all this sort of right pieces fell into place um with with this sort of beachhead market like i think um generally uh transgender patients are sort of underserved in the in the health community Mm -hmm. um they can have a, a very difficult time accessing the appropriate care uh, to people. So, so sort of making this more accessible to that community was, was really, really important to us. And then simultaneously on the, on the surgeon side, there just aren't a lot of great tools out there, um, for this sort of, for this sort of work, like the, the existing tools, um, you know, some, some surgeons will use something as simple as Photoshop, you know, there are other sort of, uh, surgery specific tools out there, but it, it adds a lot of, um, time and complexity to those, um, pre-op consults. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was a sort of win-win for us. Like there's a, there's a huge social impact. There's actually a huge impact to the end user, uh, as well. So, um, so yeah, we were really happy to, to sort of fall into the space, um, to, to start off with. I appreciate really leading the conversation on AI machine learning technology essential and, uh, and the problem we're solving and the good that it can create versus mm-hmm. getting into like, well, what about that bias and what about data? And we'll, we'll talk about some of that, but I appreciate totally. how quickly you went right to, well, here's, here's the good we're doing in the world with this, with this technology for what can often be an underserved group that's been marginalized in almost every system they've, they've participated in, mm-hmm. including yeah. medical, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You guys, you guys are based in Calgary, correct? Yeah, yeah, we're based in Calgary, but um, yeah, I mean, since since we last talked, um, things are sort of coming at us a lot quicker than. Uh, <laughs> nice, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I love a good in the moment update. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, we're we're actually in in the in the process of rolling out the product in a few uh, clinics throughout the U.S. We're we're at various sort of stages in the in the process there, but um, yeah, we we sort of had this initial plan of of sort of doing a, a small rollout at our, our chief medical officers. Uh, clinic in the in the bay area mm-hmm. um and you know we were sort of going to find our feet launch the product sort of see see how it went in a, <laughs> but then in a it got of, then it got out there <laughs> yeah and then it and then it got out there and then you know a lot of the surgeons that we talked to were sort of like you know like let's uh like sign me up right away i'm I'm ready to to go and we're like all right let's uh let's put our money where our mouth is and, and launch that's, this thing that's, that's amazing and yeah. clearly listen to you talk your your market is the u.s Mm-hmm. For, yeah. for now, for start, for start, for, for now, yeah, a, a lot of um, specifically for for facial plastic surgery for um, or for for gender affirming surgery, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the big um, sort of centers for for that are, are throughout the U.S. Um, Canada has a couple. Um, well, really, I, I just think one um, one really? very sort of yeah well known facial plastic surgeon, but but generally, a lot of these cases are, are going down to uh, to the u s so that's where we figured we would um, and from a business start. case, it's a very different market, and we won't get into this because it's a, we would take a couple episodes, but the <laughs> yeah. barrier to entry for new technologies in the Canadian healthcare system is challenging 
yes. from anyone yeah. I've talked to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I was just on a panel last week at Mesh Conference with uh, a woman named Mary Jane, Mary Jane uh, Dykeman, who who's a managing partner at INQ Law, and all she does is specialize in you know technology risk mitigation from a legal mm-hmm. perspective in the healthcare space, and. Yeah. It was hard not to get a bit discouraged and not because she was being negative, but the barriers to entry and the barriers to change, let's just call it that, are extensive. And for some for the very, very good reasons Mm -hmm. and some for like, okay, people, can we get out of our way here? But let's let, we'll park that because that's, it feels like it's a whole other, a whole other episode. Absolutely. Um, Really cool. Wow. Tammy, I always love chatting with you because you're always working on super cool stuff. (laughs) I really appreciate it. I love how quickly you drew it down to, well, here's the actual value and here's the people that we're impacting positively because you can Mm -hmm. really get lost in the, in the tech and, you know, tech looking for a problem to solve versus a problem trying to find the right tech and you know all all that paradigm. So talk to us a little bit about just, you've been in AI before it was cool. (laughs) And and I say that completely tongue in cheek because I think when you, our first episode, you're like, well, Tyler, the term has been around since the fifties. Let's, let's be clear. It's hitting mainstream now, certainly because of our friends at OpenAI and ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. But just talk to me about the evolution. And even you, you said the word generative AI, which, you know, oh, the future of AI is now generative. And just talk a little bit about where the technology's evolved over the last couple of years and what you've seen. And maybe what, what gets you excited as someone who lives in this every day? Yeah, totally. So we're at a really interesting point right now. So so I still sort of maintain that, obviously, the, the position that AI has been around. And even in the last couple of years, you know, we, we as, as people just have interacted with, with AI on a, on a daily basis. But, net, but the interesting thing is that in the last couple of years, those interactions were sort of silent and quiet. Yes, they were. Um, so every time, you know, Spotify recommends you a new song, every time Amazon is recommending you a new product, um, or you know, Google, fact- or Google finishes your sentence for you yeah, in, your, in your Gmail, in your Gmail account. It, was it? Yeah, that just all of a sudden started happening. I never remember turning it on or turning it off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. um, so you know, for, for the most part, it, it sort of just started happening. People were like, "Oh, okay, you know, that's that's cool. It's making my life easier." But you know, th- they weren't particularly mm-hmm. aware. Let's say I certainly wasn't of of you know how how prevalent AI um, sort of was in in sort of day to day life. Interesting. But with the advent of ChatGPT in the you know in the last year or so, um, we're sort of seeing this this evolution where where AI isn't just this sort of point solution, sort of silent thing happening under the hood or in the background. Um, it's now sort of making this transition to a point where the general population is is very very aware of it. Um, they're actually seeking out these interactions with with AI. Um, and the most interesting thing is, is that rather than than sort of being this, yeah, under under the hood point solution, AI is really now presenting itself as, you know, a general purpose technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really demonstrating those those sort of traits of being widely pr- uh, proliferated. There being continuous improvements to it. Um, and, and what I think the most important thing is, is that there are now sort of supporting innovations to support the new technology itself. Mm, um, so the, the, the whole ecosystem that is now sort of opening up surrounding AI innovation. Um, so, you know, like data labeling, um, you know, keeping track of data provenance, um, you know, AI infrastructure, um, all of those sort of supporting technologies are now sort of uh, increasing in popularity and, and prevalence and importance because you know, AI is, has evolved into this um, into this general purpose technology. So I would say that that's the the big transition that's happened. 
It's an interesting if you think about it, you know, from just a change management model. I don't want to call it change management, just call it change. Humans are notoriously not great at change um, until it's thrust upon us. But that gradual drip drip campaign approach to it yeah. just starting to become really kept it off the radar of some of the controversy that's happening and we're going too fast and we should pause and put a moratorium on it and some of the talk that's happening in the media, mm-hmm. which I love that, you know, my still members of the first week of December and I'm hanging out with my brother-in-law uh, and he's like, hey. Have you fooled around with it yet? I'm like, what? He goes, ChatGPT. And then all of a sudden, we're on the computer. Two hours goes by. We're trying to formulate questions and ask it. Yeah. You know, even from our conversations, I knew it was there, but my own sense of it, or even my own, like, oh, this is real. And now, like, let's lean in. That literally changed from the end of November to the first week of December. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it was a, it was an inflection point. Yeah. We'll look back on it and go, wow, that was the time. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, it's shocking. Like, my, you know, similarly, my, my cousin comes to mind where, you know, a couple years ago when I was in school and I, I sort of told him that I was going into, into data science and was, was interested in AI, he would sort of, you know, jokingly make fun of me and, you know, about like this, you know, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, as, as a good cousin would do. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and, um, you know, like he would speculate on all of the sort of made up things that, that data science <laughs> would, would entail. But then, you know, uh, you know, fast forward to, to a few months ago and, um, you know, he, he reaches out to me and he says, Oh my gosh, like I use chat GPT every day at work. Like it, it has really changed like my, my day-to-day life. And I was like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's here, it's happening. Um, it's really interesting to see that, uh, you know, people who were skeptical of it a few years ago are now sort of fully leaning in, like very curious and, and are actually yes. em- embracing the change that it's, that it's brought to their lives. It's a phenomenal tool. And I think like anything, understanding what it is, understanding what it isn't, learning that along the way, because what you think it is one day and what you think it isn't another day, that can change. And exactly. I'd say it's changing in real time. Yeah. So I think it really lends well to the open-minded and the curious. And it's not the answer to everything, but it's definitely an answer to a few things. There's yes. no, uh, you yeah. can't argue that. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly is. Yeah. Oh, the thinking partner, at a, you know, it's Sunday on a two o'clock and mm-hmm. I want to brainstorm. My team probably doesn't want to hear from me, but GPT is always ready to go. Totally. I'll, I'll try a new sentence or a new concept or I'll write yep something and go, oh, please rewrite this as if it was written by Stephen King. And just the creativity sometimes that that it allows you to explore. And that's just at a very superficial level, I, I would yeah. say. But totally, as you think about organizational and you think about being a leader or manager or, or the founder and owner of a company, mm-hmm. getting comfortable, getting curious and playing around with it, I also respect that that is part of the journey of understanding the role that these things may or may not play in your business. Totally. Arguably, it's going to play a role in everyone's business, but yeah. not, not certainly in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, uh, well, when it comes to AI and this, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's become table talk. Like it, it is a household mm-hmm. thing now that, and people actually know or have a version of what that means. What are some of the nuances around where we're headed or some of the evolution of the technology for somebody who's a little close to it, like putting your science, your, your, your technology hat on a little bit, mm-hmm. where are we at around the evolution of that technology? Obviously generative AI, I want to circle back to that as, as one that is certainly that's starting to be the word I'm seeing everywhere now, not just yes. AI, generative is being bolted in front of it. Yep. So maybe give us a little bit of your, your take on why all of a sudden we're seeing that, or this is this just the next evolution? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I think it's um like, a lot of what happens in in AI is sort of like requires a couple things to fall into into place. So you know, a few years ago, like at, you know, twenty twelve or, or whatever it was, when you know AI really started to bubble up again, right? It, it started to do so with you know image classification, text classification, um, because you know these stars sort of aligned. Like there was enough data, there was enough compute power, and the algorithms had sort of 
uh, evolve to be sufficient and, and sophisticated enough to actually handle those tasks. Um, and a lot of those forces are still at play here. I, I would argue with, with AI that the most important piece um, now is always going to be data. Um, and I think with, with generative AI, like we, we've sort of just hit this, this point where we have enough data um, and enough sort of know-how on how to massage that data to, to train these models um, in order to, to actually be generative in nature, um, that, that's really causing this, this explosion. Um, there, there are nuances about, about that that I, that I definitely want to talk about. And, and you know, the, like da- data is everything when it comes to AI. Um, when, you know, when we talk about the, the nuances and limitations of, of ChatGPT, for example, um, you know, the, the thing to, to understand about, about it and, and other generative models is that they're in a way just imitating the data that they've seen in the past, right? And so, so in a way that, like, you know, when you ask ChatGPT to generate you some text in the style of, you know, so-and-so, Right. It's 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 really what it's doing is is looking back through its corpus of, of training data and really trying to, to sort of give you an imitation um, of what it's seen before. Like it's not really it, it doesn't have an inherent understanding of, you know, yes. Stephen King or, or whatever. It, it right? is fundamentally it's a mathematical equation running behind the scenes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so so understanding that is is really um, is really important. Right. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I think where like the the really interesting question that's going to come up with with generative ai is you know how is that data how are those patterns sort of sort of being reflected back to the user right so in in previous iterations of 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 chat models from from open ai you know there there were tons of issues with you know um sort of racial bias yeah. um sexual bias like discrimination all of those things because it had been trained on it, it had seen that before right yeah. so so you know, it only knows how to imitate what it's seen. Um, it's, not, interest- it's not. It's not. It's not looking at what it's seen with a discerning eye. It's simply just imitating it or, exactly. or, or replicating it. And I think yeah. it's good to put that in. Pre- the word intelligence also can be very misleading. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it certainly can, right? Because it, it sort of implies cognition. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think that's you know you know back to the sort of taxonomy of AI. Like, you know that that's really like general AI, right? Is something that. You, you know, that umbrella term and, and you yes. know, where cognition is, is sort of thrown around. Like we're still in this machine learning paradigm, I would say, where really what we have are, are algorithms that can, you know, quote unquote, learn from the data, which is really understanding what patterns exist in the data that it's been trained on and, and trying to sort of extrapolate those patterns into unseen um, sort of data or questions. Like, I think that's, that's really still where we are. Um, which also so- underpins the risk of like, Trusting it blindly. And I'm yes. saying that very broad statement because you're right. We're trusting something blindly that is built with bias. And bias doesn't have to be bad, but it's still mm-hmm. biased, right? Yes, exactly. It's always that exactly. you say the word bias, like, oh, that feels negative. It's just a bias towards this versus versus that, right? Yes. Yeah. And and that's exactly it. Like, And, and I think, you know, broadly to, to think about how, you know, these models or AI in general are, are going to, to affect us as, as human beings and, and as a society um, that's really the the nuance that we have to understand is that we can't trust these models blindly. Yeah. And so, so what does that mean? Um, I think, you know, these models are a great place to, they're a great place, place to start, right? Like, so you can, you can have a chat with chat GPT and, you know, get some, get some really rough ideas, but 
it's still your responsibility as a, as a human to apply judgment to that sort of starting point and really try to sort of tease out the, the important bits to augment it in a, in a way to make it more accurate or more relevant. Um, you know, and then it's, it's really that combination of, of the, of the prediction or the, the generation that that AI has given you plus your judgment that makes it valuable. It's not one or the other, right? It's, it's the combination of, of both. I really appreciate that. I was at, I, I, I attended a presentation, uh, Dr. Barry was his name and he previewed some, uh, the AI model that they had built on GPT three mm-hmm. to be clear, not chat GPT, GPT three in it, in it, in it's, and talking about the way they use it. And he was involved with the U S military and they were using it for kind of geopolitical war games. And they, he very clearly articulated as an augmented intelligence tool to augment the intelligence of the people who are then indeed making the decisions. Mm-hmm. I thought just that paradigm alone was a power powerful shift for me. And yeah. he goes, we don't look at it as artificial. We are augmenting the intelligence of our leaders, our generals, our yes. decision makers and the context. And he, his background was in ethics. So it's yep. very interesting kind of his paradigm around this tool that they've created to augment and add to not mm-hmm. replace in any way whatsoever. <laughs> and he was yeah. very yeah. clear about articulating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, from, from my sort of day-to-day life, like working closely to, to medicine, um, mm. you know, that, that is always at the front of my, uh, at the front of my mind is, is, you know, it's, it's not a replacement for the, for the expertise of a, of a physician or surgeon. Um, it is, it is simply another data point. It's another tool in the, in the toolbox, which I think is important. So I was lucky enough to, to do some work with, um, uh, some, some folks in, um, uh, yeah, in the department of surgery, uh, sort of ENT head and neck surgery, um, Devin mm-hmm. Livingstone, who you've, you've yes, had on, know, the, yeah. on the episode. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so him and I, and, and, um, another ENT resident, um, we actually, we just wrote a paper on using, um, AI to diagnose vocal cord disease. So it would listen to your voice and sort of, you know, fairly accurately make a prediction on, on what kind of pathology, um, you know, a certain patient, um, could have. But, you know, in, in writing that paper and, and, you know, and just explaining that to people, you know, people immediately make that jump to, oh, you know, you're, you're replacing doctors. Um, and it's like, not, not even, not even close, right? <laughs> really what we're, what we're trying to do is just, just add another data point. Um, you know, Im- imagine being able to, to sort of be triaged a little bit quicker, right? With that, with that extra piece of, of data, you know, um, a patient presents to your, your family physician's office. With a, with a hoarse voice or something, and you know they're a little bit worried about it, rather than the the family physician who who doesn't have you know the, the ten or eight years of training, like specifically in in you know anatomy and, and sort of pathologies of the head and neck, you know instead of them having to sort of make it make a prediction, right? It's like could you augment their knowledge, um, you know their understanding of your clinical history to to sort of make a make a better decision or, or make a different decision um, sort of quicker, right? Like, will they mm-hmm. decide to to make a referral to an ENT a little bit quicker if they have a if you know if they have an extra data point there? So that's or, really or, the, and more importantly, to not make um, a prescription where yes. cough syrup would be the answer. Yes, and yeah. if I remember my conversation with Devin and really the specifics around, a picture of the rural GP mm-hmm. who's seeing everybody from a broken ankle to a sore throat. Yep. And the expectation that they're the ex- an expert, they're generalists, they're yes. general practitioner. It's exactly. in the, it's in the name, yep. and you're relying on you know. And if they've got five years experience or they have forty, they have their own biases. They have what they've seen, mm-hmm. but the ability to kind of like 
force multiplier to 10x their ability to one see patients but their ability to also feel confident in their own diagnosis yeah there's there's not much that didn't make sense to me with that model <laughs> exactly yeah and and that's really the the way to look at it right is like what ai is really good at doing is is sort of democratizing the knowledge of mm. of experts right and and i think that's really you know looking at at how quickly open ai has has sort of advanced is is really the way that i like to to see the future of, of ai like i don't think that the 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 innovations are really going to come um you know fr- from a grassroots level at least innovations aren't going to come at the algorithm level itself like there like there's no way that that you know me as a, a sort of citizen data scientist or you know um whatever you want to call me is going to be able to compete with people at open ai people at google people at right. facebook right because they have access to the data they have access to the know-how to to really innovate on that on that sort of lower level algorithm side. But what's interesting now is that they've sort of done a lot of the heavy lifting for us. And they're they're like these models like chat GPT um, are just accessible to, to everybody. Right. Um, And, you know, they're they're also accessible from a, from a business perspective as well. Um, And, you know, there's a whole sort of ecosystem of monetizing the AI models themselves, but where the heavy lifting needs to get done now is where can those models be applied? You know, what problems are out there? Um, and, you know, with this new armamentarium of, of tools, what are these big problems that we can sort of take another look at and say, you know, hey, maybe I can, maybe we have a chance at solving this, you know, with this current tool set now. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I really appreciate the perspective bringing back to just the ability to elevate society as a whole and, mm-hmm. you know, maintaining limited access or keeping these types of tools um, kind of held by the few, not the many, yeah. that's not historically what elevates society. That actually what, what creates uh, a really bad paradigm actually totally. <laughs> is yeah. when the power is too, is too localized yes. versus, Oh, we're all going to get electricity. No, no, just these two people over here are going to get it. And then mm-hmm. they'll decide who gets, you know, those, you know, I'm just picking one randomly. Uh, if we go back to fire, we can pick a bunch of different things, but when you've yeah. got those innovations that all of a sudden, and there's always the risk around technology. And I've had a few guests talk about it, about who gets left behind, mm-hmm. where I would say from an AI perspective, a lot more people, well, if you have a computer and you have internet, which is already access and, and uh, to a certain, and, and, and keeps people, some people out, mm-hmm. you can go play around with it. Totally. And, and that wasn't the case six months ago. So that yep. in itself, it really makes me think, listening to you talk, the, the biggest challenge with these technologies is not the technology, it's us. Yes, yeah, it's a, a, it, it's yeah. it's a, it's us. I was totally. on uh, character.ai uh, the other day cuz someone was chatting about cuz I think they just they just brought in about 200 million in VC uh, or private equity funding, I'm not sure. I think a VC mm-hmm. funding. And I went on there and then I picked a character and the character was a psychologist and I just read an interesting book on on trauma and the difference between childhood trauma and PTSD and those types mm. of things and I was quite curious about it. So I said, "Oh, if this character that I've chosen to pick with is a psychologist, I'm going to interact with them." Yeah. And it says right on top, "The these opinions are made up. These are not real. These mm-hmm. are fake. And it's in yep. red letters. But yet the the AI interaction was arguing with me on its own credibility. It was I, defending its position saying, I have a degree from uh, from Toronto and I have this degree and I have that. I have this many years of experience. Mm-hmm. The, dis, the, the, the discipline or the focus it took for my brain to not want to just believe it 
yes. was yeah. really tricky. And I totally. want to really estimate, like, the, the humans were notoriously guilty at believing things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I read once that, you know, because our ancestors who didn't believe the rustle in the grass was a tiger about to eat them, that yeah. gene pool didn't keep going. The ones yeah. that went, oh, my God, I need to believe what I see because it could actually kill me is what got passed along, which is yes. sometimes why we we perceive ourselves like, oh, man, I, I, I don't want to feel gullible. Mm-hmm. But we are, we're built for trust more so than we're built to be discerning. Yeah. And tools like this, the more credible they become, the more that weight that puts on you as a human to be discerning <laughs> yes no and and that's exactly it right and and i think you know going back to how this is going to affect us on like a on a work level right like it's you know it, it's augmentation it's not replacement um and and you know when you look at it from that perspective like really what's happening is this it's a it's a redistribution of of the importance of your skill set right mm. so Hmm. Right. And it it all goes back to that, your judgment as a, as a domain expert expert, or, you know, as a, as an expert in whatever field you're, you're using AI in, right? Like it's your, it's your judgment call and and it's your, um, it's your decision-making skills that, that are really going to make that AI valuable or not. Right. Cause like you said, like if you just sort of blindly trust it and allow it to, to sort of lead you without questioning it, well then some, you know, you're going to have bad outcomes. Right. But so it's like that convincing friend. We all know they tell you something and they're like, I don't know if that's true, but damn, he was convincing or she exactly. was convincing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Right. So, so it's, it's really, about- which comes back to critical thinking, like mm-hmm. life skills as individuals, which sometimes we all don't have those. And, and I can have it in one area. Like you made a comment. If it's my area of expertise, my chance of going, wait a second, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to call bullshit. Yep. But if it's not your area of expertise and it's presented to you in a very plausible, well, if we're talking about the internet, we're talking yep. about deep, we're talking about fake news, we're talking about deep fakes. Yep. We are notoriously terrible at, you know, I joked years ago, I realized I had, an, I had an, an incident with someone. I'm like, wow, I realized that I'm a really good judge of character if the person presents themselves accurately. If mm-hmm. they intend to mislead me and they're good at it. I can be misled just as much as the next person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't have any superpowers. I don't have a built-in yeah. lie detector. And now we've got a technology that's incredibly good at feeding our own language, our, mm-hmm. a, a, an interpretation of our own language. So I don't want to make this like a dark episode, but I just yeah. want to really appreciate, we're quick to blame the technology where often, like so many things, we need to look at ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very challenging thing. And, you know, the other thing that's... um that can keep me up about this, this technology is, is a lot of like where, where the data comes from. Um, right. And, you know, I think, I'm not sure if you saw, but, you know, chat GPT, um, and, and open AI that there was a a sort of article about, um, how they were leveraging like an underpaying offshore, like an offshore workforce in, in Kenya, um, to actually, Oh, I didn't, I I didn't see that. Yeah. So, so there was this huge issue where, um, uh, basically, OpenAI was was using this offshore firm in in Kenya, um, and they were paying them like on average like a, two bucks an hour or something to manually comb through the data and and you know pick out the the sort of the racial text, the um, you know the bias and discriminatory yeah. text, um, and you know manually comb through it and, and clean that data. And and I think as um, you know, as, as we're turning this corner of AI becoming this general purpose technology that also needs to be at the forefront of our minds is like data ethics and data provenance, not, not the ethics of, of, you know, the application of the model itself, but the way that that model of your, of your, of your actual business. Well, now we're getting into ESG. If you want to talk Mm -hmm. about like, are we, do we really have governance over the way you're doing your business? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and I, I think that's a, it's a really, really important skill. And I think it's, um, and very important topic, and it's one that I that I think is going to become very very prevalent in the in the coming years. 
um, you know, as we see the, the prevalence of these tools um, being built, like, you know, it, it's sort of equivalent to, to understanding like where your food is coming from. Right. Or, or you know, yeah, that's a great it, it's, it's, and it took us know, a lot of years to, to, as the individual consumer to start to actually care about that and yeah. then have a way to actually influence it. Yes. One thing yeah. to care about something, another thing to be able to actually do, make a change and decide with your wallet or with, for your family. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that same transition, um, hmm, uh, certainly needs to happen in the, in the AI space. Like, and again, especially as, as it becomes more prevalent, like people, you know, people who are going to have access to it really ought to know at least, you know, to, to some extent, the, the sort of provenance of the, of the data that was used to train that model. I, I think that's going to be absolutely. The where your food comes from is a really good example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's really a really, that, did yeah. that apple come from where around the world? Did it come from BC or did it come from like Mexico somewhere? And what yeah. practices do they have on applications of pesticide? Like all those things. Totally. And it's so tangible, but that data could, you, you, you kind of, you need to know the logistics and supply chain of that mm-hmm. data as well, yeah. which well, I never really thought about it that way. It's really yeah, interesting. And, and when I, when I found out about, you know, how chat GBT was cleaning their data, like it definitely made me take a second look at it and say you know is this really um you know it it just made me question it like a a little bit more right and and look at it with a with a more discerning eye and more more skeptical eye at least well because that's like and when we when we use it as you and i we're then now validating their business model just by use (laughs) yes yeah exactly but um you know it's like it's like how far can that sort of unravel right like if if you you know as as chat gpt or, or you know these large language models become more commercially viable, right? That, that, you know, back to ESG, right? It it really has implications on, um, on, on your sort of credibility, on your trustworthiness, on your ethics as a, as a business, right? If you're going to use models trained on unethical data, um, you know, it, it's it gonna, was gathered in on the data itself might be ethical, but it was gathered in an unethical way. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you might be using that product to do a good thing with it, but where mm-hmm. did that product and how did it come into, how did the product itself come into existence? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. I've never, yeah. I've never, so, so many layers. When you hear some of the rhetoric that was, and I appreciate there's the difference between what's real and what's just PR campaigns. Mm-hmm. But a few weeks ago, obviously Elon Musk has been very vocal around like, let's stop it. Let's put a pause. Let's slow everything down for six months Mm -hmm. is and i look at that and go oh there's so many layers to what's probably going on behind that motivation but when you see something like that is it because the quote-unquote technology is moving too quickly is it because of things like you just mentioned where whoa like we're running so quickly that we're making a lot of really bad choices in the name of speed in the name of like supply and demand what are some of the things that drive that like like what what would happen if we paused it for six months that would make it somehow better different six months from now than it is today in in your mind it's a fine line right like i I think fundamentally it's like like legislation can never keep up with with innovation i think that's i think that's sort of like an underlying thing so um i i really don't know that like in in six months there would be any you know, huge in, or material change in the way that we deal with it. But I, okay. I, I really think that um, what, what people need to understand and, you know, sooner rather than, than later is, is all of the different things that we've talked about, right? It's, it's A, understanding the, the limitations of AI. Um, B, it's understanding that, you know, it's, it's imitating the data that it has seen. Um, and thus, the data becomes the most important piece of that of the of the puzzle um i think like in a perfect world like everybody would get like a 
you know, have like a 10, 15 minute clinic on, on sort of AI and, and you know, what, what, it's, what it's all about. Right. But yeah. you know, that's obviously unrealistic, but, um, I, I yeah, I, I really just think that, um, yeah, p- as, as it becomes more prevalent, like people need to explore it with, with a sort of like mindful curiosity uh, about it. Right. And, and I also think that, um, it's really important, like, you know, if you, if you are a company sort of making these models available to people that you're, you're communicating that, um, sufficiently and, and sort of openly to the, to the end user, right? Like what are the limitations, um, of AI? And I, I think that's, that's a really important sort of piece of the puzzle is the, the human AI interaction piece. Um, and it's sort of just knowing like, you know, who's you know quote unquote who's sitting on the other side of the table um when you're when you're chatting with with those models right um <laughs> I, I think that's i think that's the, the really sort of crucial point and you know how, how we get there is, is is very difficult and and you know how we get the um you know the, the sort of general population to sort of be aware of that is, is certainly very challenging um but i think it's it's ultimately gonna gonna become very important well, it, we're trying to hit that inflection point of where all of a sudden, you know, even you think about the iPhone, we made someone comes along and makes it easy. And mm-hmm. back to that, we all could use, I could use it still. I've been using an iPhone for X amount of years. I could probably still use a tutorial on how to use this tool better. Cause yep. I know I still only, someone will be like, Hey, did you know it did this? I'm like, Nope, did not know that. You know, you're mm-hmm. thinking about it, but what gets mass adoption is ease of access and ease of use, which clearly, uh, open has done that really, really well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, here you go. It, it's a chat field. It, yeah, it works. It, just do exactly. it. Just use yeah. it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's always going to be the, the, the challenge, right. Of, of, of these sort of general purpose technologies. Like we're going to, you know, th- things are going to go quicker, um, than, than we can sort of handle as a society. Yeah. But I, you know, I think, like for example, like with the motor vehicle, right? Like, it, how how long did it take us uh, before seatbelts become be, became like widely adopted? If you look back at the statistics of how many people were killed or injured in auto, uh, in auto vehicle, like as in yeah. motor vehicles as they were evolving, it's quite mm-hmm. staggering. Actually, it, it, it's incredibly staggering. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And, and you know, perhaps the um, the the consequences of of AI are, are less tangible. Yeah. than that but but the consequences are real right and and so and they're so much more on intellectual psychological level than they are somebody getting run over in the street in front of your house yes yeah, which it, so we tend to downplay it a little bit because well no one's gonna die oh yeah, yeah. but it doesn't mean bad things still might not happen and i'm yeah. very i'm very positive but i i love this conversation because let's look at all the sides we went from one mm-hmm. of an, an altruistic helping a marginalized group in our society to like mm-hmm. well let's talk about the fact that Oh, too much trust in anything can be problematic. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and and that's exactly it, right? Um, Let, and, let's pivot away from the, the the dark side and the philosophical side, which sure, I really yeah. appreciate us getting yeah. into. I won't call it dark; I just call it rea- rea- reality mm. and talking about the perspectives, accessibility, and you know, you this was quietly being played in the background by a lot of like global organizations, big, powerful, mm-hmm. massive budgets, massive teams. All of a sudden, now we've got OpenAI releases it, and then a company like Deep Surface AI, we'll just use it as an example. What do you see in terms of the adoption curve for smaller companies, startups, companies that really understand a problem and go, wow, all of a sudden now I have a whole new, like I look behind you in the screen and no one can see you've got some tools. I love that metaphor. Oh, wow. We've got a tool now to apply here that we didn't even have six months ago. Mm -hmm. 
what's what's accessibility look like? Is it a barrier? Is it a combination of skill, cost? Is cost coming down? What do you see from an adoption perspective for more companies like Deep Surface AI that just are picking whatever field they understand or passionate about and know mm-hmm. how to and and have and know the problem well enough that they figured out AI could solve it? <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's it's going to be absolutely rapid. I I think. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, in the it's here and it's happening. <laughs> it's, it's here and it's happening. Like it and it's um. Yeah, I, I really don't think that there's there's much we can do about it, um, <laughs> right? Uh, the, the, yeah, the horse is out of the barn kind of thing yeah, or whatever exactly. like, metaphor so, it is. Yeah, o- OpenAI, they just released a, a paper on, like, on what, um, what the impact of, like, large language models will be on, like, on sort of economic status. And the, the, oh, interesting. The, the really interesting, my, my interesting takeaway from that, from that paper was of all jobs in the u.s they they estimate about 20 percent of them have it have are sort of exposed um to impact by large language models like gpt and of that 20 percent 50 percent of the tasks associated to those jobs um could be augmented or or automated by chat gpt so that's it's massive right like the the potential significant but not huge like that a society moving uh technology yeah exactly right so so like it's an absolutely staggering number on on what the potential um impact of it could be um and the the fact that it's so accessible now I, i think is really going to encourage people to start to explore all of those different all of those different tasks that they have right like you know all of the the minutes or hours that they spend in their day that you know that could be sort of bet, better allocated to to more important tasks is is i think really where where the rubber is going to hit the road right and and the hmm. um the the fact that it's so accessible is really going to inspire people to 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 really take a hard look at their at their workloads um, and say, you know, there's, a, you know, here's a very natural um, sort of place where where it could be integrated. Here's another very natural place that it, that it could be integrated, right? So, the the adoption curve is going to be very very rapid, um, I think, which is um, which is amazing. And then on the on on the cost side, like it's it's always been, you know, some version of of AI has always been sort of available, like you know, with like cloud computing as a as a sort of inherently related and compatible topic mm. with with ai interesting um and so you look at the the big cloud providers like um google cloud platform amazon web services yeah. um you know they've been offering these these off-the-shelf ml solutions or ai solutions like for for years now um but it but again really in these like you know these very sort of specific use cases right like um uh for example photo classification right like if you if you if a lot of your job has to do with classifying images or sorting images it's like you know here here's a product for you and it's going to cost you you know a dollar an hour for it to for it to run right and so um you know back to that tool thing it's it's just another tool that's going to live on the on the shelf but it's it's one that has a way more general um and a way broader sort of base of, of use cases that it can be applied to um and uh and yeah like it's it's just going to be available for people to pick off the shelf and and use and i think as as it becomes more available the cost of it is going to is going to come down the use cases of it are going to sort of increase 
Yeah, kind of um, almost a Moore's law kind of approach yeah, to yeah, how it's exactly. Kinda, yeah, I, I know that doesn't really hold up the same way it used to, but mm-hmm. most people know what that refers to. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, even a company, I re- Denver DataWorks company, I met here in Calgary not that long mm-hmm. ago, and and their whole model around around the building server and building computer infrastructure to support specifically large AI and ML models. And yeah. the way they were talking to me about the amount of energy and horsepower that you need to run these units and liquid cooled and it's like a souped mm-hmm. up like race car almost yeah. compared to what you might run your mail server on <laughs> yes yeah exactly um and that's exactly it and then and then and actually it's, it's interesting that you say um that you sort of bring up the race car analogy as well um w- when you when you talk about ai products um the, the real way to think like i i think the like a like a race car is the perfect analogy for it where um you know e- even in with deep surface ai it's like really the way that i look at it is that the, the ai is the engine of the car, right? But you need tons of supporting yeah, stuff. Yeah, that is it. Like, oh, I like where you're going with you know, that. Like, yeah, yeah, I like an, that. An engine can't get you from A to B, right? You, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. can't drive the. You can't drive the engine store. You can't even F, start you, it without the right, without a, a proper environment. If it's not in a vehicle, if it's yes, not bolted yeah. into its into its chassis, if you will. exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think, um, you know, mm, again, I, I like that metaphor a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and so like the the other thing that we really need to be to be mindful of in in this sort of adoption curve is like you know sure the engine is available, but you still need suspension. You still need steering. You still need a a sort of cabin to sit in, like all of these different components to make a fully functioning, you know, tool or product, right? And you're not bolting your Honda race engine into your go-kart. You need premium products to surround it to make it actually function or it actually, or else you kind of build a bomb, if you will. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And, and, um, you know, there was a, you know, sorry to keep bringing up papers, but um, like a, a few years. No, I'm ago, gonna. Add, I want you to send them to me all after. I'm ready to listen. Yeah. Like, okay, ask him for this. Ask him yeah. for this white paper. No, I, yeah, I, so, I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was Google. They they released this paper, and, and they they said that um, you know, AI is the high interest credit card of of technical debt. So, and, and te- technical debt is this this idea that yeah. um, you're, you're always facing this trade off of of building something properly and building something quickly. Right. And, and you no know, matter how properly you build it, it's outdated in six, yes, to 12 months, yeah, or six it, weeks, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so you're constantly, you know, as in, in a technology setting, you're, you're constantly in the cycle of having to go back and fix infrastructure. Right. But yeah. AI is this incredibly effective tool at racking up technical debt so um <laughs> oh i appreciate that. okay I yeah, so, I, i've i've had the last six months i've had guests like the word tech debt technical debt has been mentioned more times on my if i had a good ai search engine for my podcast you yeah. would have found that term much more in the last six months than any time prior <laughs> totally yeah exactly yeah. and and so you know speaking of 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 um of kind of adoption and and you know how these things get built successfully that it's a, it's a huge challenge, right? Like you're constantly having to think about all of the supporting infrastructure to, or, you know, around the engine, right. To go, to go back to that analogy, it's like all of the supporting infrastructure around it has to be absolutely top notch. Um, otherwise it's, it, it's, it's very quickly going to sort of spiral into, you know, into a, into a ticking time bomb, like you said. Um, a black hole so, of tech. tech yeah, debt. exactly. Yeah. So it's so much to be thought about, you know, when you're building, when you're deciding to solve a problem using these tools, just, yeah. just start, start at that level. Oh, we're going to build a company around it. And the mm-hmm. amount of long-term thinking, like you're solving today's problem while also planning for uh, it being obsolete in six months, or obscurity in 12 or whatever the time may be. And because mm-hmm. that world, it, it's exponentially changing. Yeah. I was joking with someone the other day and they were saying, oh, it's not doing this or it's not doing that. I said, yeah, but this is the worst it's ever going to be. 
It's mm-hmm. only getting better from here. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And when the worst state of affairs is actually pretty impressive, I don't know, that's a pretty cool, like, again, yeah. it demands our attention. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it really does. Yeah, it really does. Um, besides some of the things you said, I think we can all pull lots of, of insights and nuggets out of your comments. If a company's listening to this from the perspective of wanting to get into it, wanting to go down the road that you've, that you've been on now with uh, Deep Service AI in their, own, mm-hmm. in their own realm, what mm-hmm. are some of the top things you would think of? Do you have a little bit of a checklist? list of like uh, before you should beware like you guys uh, you, you as a team really need to think about these things mm. like about ai specifically or yeah if i'm th- if i'm like oh we have to use ai we've got an amazing idea or we've got an existing business that we think can be you know less disrupt mm-hmm. before we get disrupted mindset and we're yeah. going and we're going to use ai any little bit of a checklist like what's tim's checklist for uh, buyer beware <laughs> yeah totally um so the, the the first thing is um is i mean it, it's sort of classic startup theory but like Make sure that make sure that there's actually sort of problem solution fit in that space. <laughs> Got it. Right. Yeah, no, um, it. AI is good for a lot of things, but it's 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 also not good for a lot of things. Like it's um, it, right, yeah, and yeah, and, it, yeah. and especially as it becomes more accessible, like it's it's again going to be that that tool that everybody is sort of grab the hammer, but yeah, I don't exactly. need a hammer, but that's what yeah. I got. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. So, so really just make sure that that there's a, a, a sort of solid foundational use case that um, that AI actually sort of fits with, um, right. And, and, you know, there, there are good and bad use cases of it. Like, uh, you know, good ones are, uh, you know, very tedious tasks. Um, the human is still very involved in the, in the ultimate decision-making process with that task. Um, the, the context you're working in is sort of like explainable. Like you can, you can have a a true sort of level of like cause and effect in between, Mm. you know, this action is, is causing, the AI to predict this. Um, bad use cases would be where, you know, if you need to have really, really granular transparency and you can't, like in, in healthcare, for example. Um, yeah. Right? There's, so a le- if, there's a level of obscurity with AI as well. Yes. Because right? you can't yes. see how it necessarily solves the problem or what exactly. data it actually used to solve the problem. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, like, of you know, being mindful if you're, if you're operating in these like high stakes environments, like health or wealth, for example. So, so problem solution fit and really understanding the user need is, mm-hmm. is crucial. Um, really back to that analogy of, of it's the engine, not the car, I think is the, <laughs> is the absolutely most crucial thing that, that people need to need to keep in mind. Um, just sort of having a use case for AI doesn't mean you have a, a company or a product. It means that you have, um, it means that you have an engine and you need to be very mindful that, um, you need to build all of the supporting infrastructure around it for it to be successful, um, I think is, is absolutely key. Um, and the, the, the last sort of component is, is really about understanding like components of, of human AI interaction, right? Like how can you responsibly communicate um, and inject AI into that space? Um, make sure that your users are sort of un- understanding um, of, the, of the limitations of it understanding of the, the sort of provenance of the data that it was used, um, you know, all, all of those different components. And, and, a, and actually sort of on that, on that note, understanding that AI and human beings can complete the same tasks, but do so in incredibly different ways. And ah. because of that, you can often introduce friction into the workflow that you otherwise wouldn't um, have been aware of. Right. So, um, 
you know, talk, like talking about writing and, and chat GPT, right? Like understanding that chat GPT is really just imitating the, the corpus of text that, that it's been trained on. Right. Whereas when a human being is writing, you're, you're applying so much judgment and you're trying to tell a narrative and there's a certain style that you're going for. And you're, you're really trying to make, make a, a sort of longer narrative fit together in a way that's really cohesive. Right. Whereas, ChatGPT can do that in bits and pieces, but you know it, it doesn't have that that really long term context. It's it's not aware of the the sort of narrative and the flow that you're really trying to go for, right? And and at a certain point, there's a there's a limitation and a difference in how it's going to, um, to you know complete a writing task versus how um, a human being would complete complete a writing so, task, I, right? That's such a great example because I'm building my response based on just a collection of data and content that I have. Whereas mm-hmm. a human, I'm doing that based on the accumulation of what I've learned and understood, but I'm looking into the future and the narrative that I'm creating and where I want it to go. That second piece is missing with AI now that yeah, I understand yeah. that. No, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it absolutely is, right? And, and so understanding that's powerful. That, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah. So, so understanding that there's, a, there's an asymmetry in between how mm-hmm. a model is going to do a task and how a human being is going to do a task is absolutely, is absolutely crucial, right? And, and and understanding how those two things are going to interact and the potential areas of friction that can that can sort of resolve, right? Um, is 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 super important. So, yeah. One I would add, just for the sake of it, and I I was lucky to be in the room with a handful of large enterprise level organizations, some North American, some global, and mm-hmm. they were celebrating the things that they had quote unquote automated in their business. Yep. And they were they were all simple tasks. Yeah like from expense reports and like the things that drove people nuts and often mm-hmm. didn't get done and were actually problematic and became like a management problem yeah. when it really was part of the business, but actually didn't truly add value to the business. Totally. And listening to some of their senior people celebrate, it gave me perspective of like, stop trying to only do big things. Mm-hmm. If it removes the f- friction in someone's day, it could be very much worth it if you have 10,000 of those people or a thousand totally. of those people. Yep. And it yep. just made that one task easier. And it really brought back, it, it made it bring home to me. It's like, start small, solve the friction points. You yep. don't, we don't need to build the, a new version of whatever we're building. Uh, we don't need to build the Eiffel Tower here. Sometimes we just need mm-hmm. to fix the hole in the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it was humbling because I loved, oh, big, complex. And they're like, oh my God, they were so proud. And I got it of what they did because it actually had positive impact on their on their team, yeah. which ultimately impacted their business, but it wasn't a business solution. It was almost administrative, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, exactly, right? And, and But and they I, were starting small and they were getting permission. They were getting some yeses. They were getting used. Like, if you mm-hmm. look at the journey of the, what these companies are on for years, they yeah. were starting where they should, was, which was proving value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And th- so the, the last thing that I'll say on, on that is um, AI project management is so challenging in and of itself and and managing an ai project like even if you're using an off-the-shelf solution like the the act of implementing it is is really really challenging because a lot of what you're doing is sort of like exploratory in nature like you you can't necessarily guarantee an outcome like like you can in in two weeks we will be here i don't know if we're going to be there (laughs) yeah exactly right and um right and and even if you're even if you're taking something off the shelf it's like there's there's a way in which it is very unpredictable, like how it's going to react and, and act in your particular use case, right? So you might think you have a plan, um, but you might actually get there and realize like, oh my gosh, like this is totally, this is acting like in a, in a completely erratic way or, or in a way that I totally didn't, 
account for it. So it's almost like back to the drawing board. Um, and, you know, I need to explore this again, rethink the approach. Um, so it, it, AI in, in and of itself presents like a lot of, of sort of project management um, mm, challenges. challenges. Um, yeah, that, that people ought to be aware of, I guess. And if you're not building something on top of your own data set and your own model, that model's always changing and someone else is changing mm-hmm. it. And if you're relying on that to do a thing in a certain way, someone else might have, that, that model's going to change. It's going to quote unquote, learn more or, mm-hmm. or get exposed to more different data yeah, that then causes totally. it to then produce a different output. Yeah. And, and similarly, your, your business can change, right? Like, you know, the, the data, <laughs> almost so, guaranteed Tim, I would yeah, say <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so yeah, like the, this idea of, of sort of things drifting in, in time is, is really kind of challenging, right? Because a, a model can be good, which can you know, dri- which drives project managers crazy. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, <laughs> Back to your point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a model can be good on day zero, but like in day, on day 100, it's like, it, it's going to be acting differently than, than it was a hundred days ago. Right. So you need oh, to be aware of and, that. And managing that, imp- that, uh, that unpredictability into the process. Totally. Uh, Tim, I'm just, I'm sitting here laughing about, we talked three years ago, like yeah. almost to the day, like literally we're coming up, like we, you know, we went live in March, but we probably talked to you know, February or something. Yeah. How much has changed in that period of time? It's that kind of end of history phenomenon where like, oh my God, can you only now imagine what's going to change in the next three years? Yeah. It's exciting it's, and overwhelming all at the yeah, same time. It, it really is. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. Well, I'm going to put it in a calendar three years from now. We're going to talk no matter what. Sounds good. <laughs> I sus- I'm suspicious we'll talk before that. Yeah. But Tim, thanks so much for your insights, your wisdom, and just being willing to have a real conversation and and uh, congratulations on the work you're doing with Deep Service AI. And I oh, thanks, Tyler. really yeah. appreciate where you took that really quickly of like, here's not only the problem we're solving, but here's the group that we're solving it for. And that really mm-hmm. matters to us. Uh, I, I really appreciate it because you can get lost in the technology of this conversation and forget that ultimately we're improving the lives of people and humans and our, the human race as a, as a whole. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. the plan, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, it's sort of what, what gets us out of bed in the morning. So um yeah, right it's good to be good to be very mission driven, I guess. So, but no, yeah, I thank you it. so much for having me on. Um, if someone wants to learn more about Deep Service AI, where do they go, or if they want to reach out to you and have a chat, I, you know, there's a million ways. But what what is what are the best ways for someone to get a hold of you or learn more about your organization? Yeah, um, just go to deepsurfaceai.com or, or just give us a, a Google search, and um, yeah, you, we're easy to find on LinkedIn, and, and I myself am easy to find on LinkedIn. So happy to to chat to anybody that reaches out. Amazing. And I would, uh, I've always, every one of our conversations online and on, on, on pod and off pod have been fantastic. So Tim, <laughs> I yeah. truly value it and really enjoy your perspective. And uh, thanks for all the learnings. I'm coming away with lots of different things to think about today. So cool. I really appreciate it. Thank you, my oh, friend. I'm glad. Thanks, Tyler.